What's up, church planners, pastors, and disciple makers? My name is Jared Huntley, coming to you from Washington, D.C., and I'm with my good friend Logan Douglas, who's coming to you from Reykjavik, Iceland. You are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by ordinary church planters that exists to encourage and equip other church planters and pastors to make disciples in hard places. Logan, what's going on, man? Not too much, Jared. Just uh, enjoying drinking some fizzy water and looking at your face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking about life and ministry and excited about this podcast. What's going on with you? Oh, man, you know, just another day, just hanging out. It's, uh, what do you, I was curious, what do you miss most about America? You've been in Iceland for like 19 months now. What, what do you miss most about the U.S. of A.? <sighs> hmm. You know, the answer I've given the most is one-stop shopping. So basically, Walmart. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're right. I When I went to Iceland and I need, like, what was it that we needed? There was something we needed. It was like, oh, it was like a fit, like an oscillating fan. Man, mm-hmm. I could not find an oscillating fan anywhere. Like, no, anywhere. No, it, it is, if you've ever been to a small town in the United States and they have like mom and pop shops that are really specialty stores, you know, that kind of, the big box stores put those out of business a lot. But that used to be the thing in small towns. It still is the thing. Well, in Iceland, it is a thing. Yep. And so, you know, if you see someone with something that is sports related, you can't assume that they just got it from any sports store. No, certain sports stores carry certain brands and certain pieces of equipment. Same thing with hardware stores, electronic stores. Yeah. I mean, I, so I was telling you that... Um, I had a friend build me a gaming computer and I went to like three different computer stores to get components for this thing. <laughs> so, I mean, it, and, and it's just different ones had different brands and different things. And so, uh, I like it in a way. It's just not super convenient. Sure. Yeah. It's funny how different cultures have, uh, different countries have different cultures. And I remember, you know, you know, being in Canada and there were just like, you know, the stores are different and you're like, yeah, it's just it's just odd how every country kind of has their own thing, and um, you know, so pretty funny. Um, well, I know that America misses you, so for what that's worth. What do you but, miss um, most about Iceland for your week that you were here? Hmm, what do I miss about Iceland, man? Um, it was really good seafood that I had when mm-hmm. I was in Iceland, um, and honestly, like it was a lot of fun doing evangelism in Iceland. It was kind of like. We just, what was one of the things that was amazing was that, like almost everybody that you talked to was basically like an atheist or they believed in some odd, you know, amalgamation of like, you know, Nordic, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, oh, what am I? I'm I'm having a brain fart on the word. You but, what you're uh, trying to describe like, is potentially going to be a future PhD that I write. Oh, okay. Interesting. This, Basically, um, like what Icelanders believe about spirituality, which is yeah. a, a combination of atheism slash, you know, like uh, um, what's the uh, what's the Viking god that that from the show? I don't remember. Thor. Yeah, 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 yeah. What like what do you like? Would that be like mythology? I guess. Uh, I mean, it it is and it isn't. So okay. I mean, they have a pagan religion here that's being revived called uh, Alsatru. And, 
I mean, they're working on building a pagan temple. Uh, oh, wow. And okay. they have members. And, I mean, they, they've been in the news. And well, uh, met, according to something I read, they're like the fastest growing religion in Iceland is this pagan religion also through. Hmm. Well, I haven't heard of that specific religion, but I did meet people who basically you know, like talked about Thor and, uh, you know, had some mythological belief in, you know, yeah, so that's Norse, that, Norse mythology. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, it was interesting sharing the gospel with people like that because it was it, one of the things that was evident is that they had never had somebody come up and ask them to try to defend their worldviews and they weren't very, you know, like they just hadn't thought about it very much. And it was so it was really cool to be able to share the gospel with those people. It was like they had never really had anybody explain that stuff to them. Um, so but it was also just a stark reminder of like, I mean, how challenging of a mission field Iceland is, but how great of a need there is uh, for people to just come and clearly articulate the gospel to others. So uh, I'm thankful that people like you were there doing that, man. Yep, and if you want to find out more information about the specific work <laughs> going plug. on in Iceland, you can go to www.theicelandproject.org. You should definitely do that. We didn't plan this. This wasn't a commercial, but it just no. kind of happened. So, but <laughs> we're we're both passionate about the Iceland project because it's, they're doing great work. Uh, our church supports Logan and uh, Carla there with Redeemer uh, City Reykjavik and. Um, so love, love those guys, love what they're doing. Um, Logan, man, we're going to be talking today about idols in church planting. So common idols that uh, church planters face, come across, struggle with in their lives. Um, so uh, unfortunately, uh, church planters are not fully sanctified and still struggle with sin. And I think that mm -hmm. there are some kind of unique um, kind of idols that church planters in particular can often be faced with. That's my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. What about you? Do you agree? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, I, <laughs> I think well, what, I kind of always start with this biblical thing. What? Well, I was just going to say, like, what is an idol? Maybe we should define that. Like, Yeah, an idol is a false god. Okay. So an idol is is something that you worship that is other than the creator God of the universe found in scripture, uh, who's, who is the creative force behind all things and all things exist for his glory. So it is giving of yourself um, in a form of worship through your time, talents, resources, whatever, to find meaning and purpose in something other than the triune God of the Bible. Amen. Is that a good definition? That's a great definition. Did you read that? No, no that's just I right off the top of my head. I can head. see your face, uh, so I know you weren't reading it. Yeah, I'm, I'm staring at uh, I'm staring at my uh, little thing on my computer that says my desk is my castle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so an idol, um, I mean, we are idol factories. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason that the first commandment given to the people of Israel is thou shalt have no other gods other than me. You will not have other gods than me. Why? Because we're so prone to put other people in God's place, uh, in the kind of, you know, the throne of our hearts or things, uh, things that we, um, what were you saying? I said, or things. We put yeah, thing, people you know, things we see this in, in Romans place. one, worshiping created things. So yep. these can be people or statues or concepts. So yep. I mean, there's so many things that we see in all of the world. So I mean, common ones, uh, and they don't always have to be bad. We can no. talk about like family, career, 
possessions, well, protection. And that's what we're, and I think that's precisely what we're going to be kind of getting into in this episode with church planting is that the things that I say, I think that church planters idolize a lot of times, like most of them aren't quote unquote bad. They're, no. they're a lot of times they're good desires that God gives us, but we take them and we make them ultimate desires. And mm-hmm. that's where the problems come in, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. So like thinking about particular idols that church planters face. Um, I know, you know, we can kind of just, you know, trade off on these. I'll, you know, I'll start with one that I think is, is pretty common and that would be success. Right. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, another way you could put that would be, you know, just church growth because that's kind of how we equate success. Now, how many are you running? Yeah. How many, how many baptisms, how many baptisms, right? Like that's just the, you know, we almost automatically look for that, uh, when we want to gauge on whether or not somebody's doing a good job as a church planter. And, uh, I think it can, you know, what can happen is we can become so driven by that that we start to make all of our decisions um, in the way that we lead our church around ensuring that we have success. And that's what ultimately tempts us towards pragmatism and a lack of faith in God. And we start trying to manufacture, you know, ministry results because we, we, we lose sight of that. The, the most important thing that we're out here to do is to glorify God, is to exercise faith and trust in him and, and trust the final results to him. And in Instead, we we actually elevate ministry success, using air quotes on that, over the glory of God. And so we start using unbiblical methods and unbiblical means to try to bring about this, you know, what we perceive to be ministry success. And it just kind of, man, I see it ever like it. There's literally there's volumes of books that have been written on, you know, all the different things you can do to grow the church. And there's blogs out there that'll tell you all the different things you need to do to break the break the the 300 barrier or whatever, you know, Mm. in your church plan. Like it's just it's everywhere. Yeah, man. And one of the things that when it becomes an idol. So if you're a pastor or church planner, especially and, and this becomes an idol, you see it in, you know, what consumes your thoughts? What cons- What is the the main thing that is how you would answer the question, how will you reach the lost? How will you grow the church? Is it the ordinary means of grace by preaching expositionally the word of God, um, praying the word of God, uh, practicing the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, um, having Christian fellowship, the saints of the church, or is it having a bigger parking lot, having more compelling uh, sermon titles and graphics, having a, a better worship team, or creating a worship experience? And and I'm not saying that we should be um, so disinterested not to care about parking lots in worship and graphics. And so I'm not saying we should just all use uh, PowerPoint and Word and, and uh, you know, that, but the question is what consumes your thoughts and your energy? What do you believe will grow your church? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, what else on, in terms of like different idols, we talked about success and church growth. What do you think are some other idols that are pretty common to church planters that can be stumbling blocks? One of the things I think is, um, I guess what I would just call platform. Um, you know, it's kind of recognition, notoriety. When you're a church planter, 
you, depending on what tradition you come out of or kind of what philosophy you have, but by and large, you're kind of the guy who is the most apostolic, you're the most entrepreneurial, um, a lot of assessing agencies and resourcing agencies for church planners have those kind of um, training and assessments to look at things like apostolic ability uh, and entrepreneurial kind of initiative and drive and things like that. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but when you got one guy going out to do a work, uh, there is a temptation for the work to revolve around you, your vision for what the work should look like. And typically you're you start out as a generalist. You're kind of the general practitioner. You're the guy who's doing kind of all the things. And I believe that a lot of people find an idol in that kind of solo, senior, charismatic main position that they hold. And they don't want to share that with anyone. So it's like everything is kind of, you know, their um, their face, their social media, their kind of brand, their image, their platform. Um, and I'm not saying that this is by and large in all of church planting, but I just feel like there's a temptation in that. Mm-hmm. And, and how can, you know, how in my mind do I think that one can ask themselves if that potentially is an idol? It's, it's you know, when, when something happens, are you thinking about how you're going to spin this in a support letter or a social media post? Yeah. Like, are you even, and are you thinking about doing things so that they look a certain way mm. on social media. Like, are you trying to create events to create events, to tell people about it, to publicize it, that look at what you did? Um, or are you doing them because you want people to hear the gospel and people to experience the love of Christ? So yeah. that, that would be one that I think um, is an idol, is this kind of self and, and kind of um, platform. Yeah, that's good, man. That's, that's good. I I had, I, I, um, what I wrote down was, you know, influence, which I think is saying the same thing that you are is, you know, it's another, uh, you know, we desire to have influence. We desire to have platform, whatever, want to, want to be somebody. Um, definitely think that that's a common temptation. Uh, another one I think is what I would call, um, a theological purity or maybe ecclesiological purity. Uh, and it's just this, this, um, I think this is especially true amongst like younger um, church planters uh, and uh, reformed young young restless reformed types, uh, where it's tempting for you know them to think, well, I know the truly godly way to plant a church, or I I know what true biblical church government looks like, and it's almost like there's this looking down the nose at all the other church planters and all the other way you know churches in the city, and you can kind of almost create this you know persona about your yourself and about your church as if like you're you know you're the you're the greatest thing to happen to your city you know or the greatest thing to happen to Christianity since you know Martin Luther you know spark the reformation Mm -hmm. or something. And I just think we can be super arrogant and uncharitable towards others, you know, when it comes to theological convictions and ironically, you know, those can be made into idols where we, Mm -hmm. you know, just, we start, you know, and one of the ways you can tell that you're slipping into idolatry in that is when you start ignoring clear commands in God's word, you know, um, to, quote unquote, like defend or to, um, 
propagate your you know theological positions. What I mean by that is like when you stop loving others and being charitable and gracious towards others in the name of, you know, championing, you know, your theological position. Like to me, I, I think at that point you've kind of lost sight of what truly matters and you're kind of missing the point. Yeah, I could, I, amen. Um, you know, and I, I love some ecclesiology. Uh, anyone who knows me knows I'm very passionate about the church, the doctrine of the church, and I love theology. Um, but our theology is supposed to help us understand God more. And to, the more we understand God, uh, the more we should love God, the more we should worship and be devoted to God. And that should affect that worship of him should affect how we love others. This is the, you know, the greatest commandment in Matthew 22. And there was a group of people in the New Testament who were very theologically astute, but were lacking a lot of grace. And Jesus had a real problem with them, and they were called Pharisees. Uh, and so that balance of grace and truth needs to be maintained. Um, and for those who think that it, they're, they're willing to lose on either ground for the other, I mean, I think we've got to strive for a balance. Because if you're so held up on what the Bible says about doctrine, yet you are not loving your neighbor, um, I think you have very much lost the heart of Christ. Mm -hmm. But there also is the temptation uh, I get, and there's fear among some, especially with the growing secularism and liberalism in the U.S. Uh, and in the West uh, of losing, you know, truth. But, I mean... We got to care about the things that Christ cared about. Mm -hmm. We have to care about the things that God has called us to care about and love the people that are made in his image. Um, and if you're a if you're a person like me who at one time now, disclaimer, I don't have children. Lord willing, we won't have children, but I've been around children uh, and I've been around children enough to know that when I was younger, I was like, man, I know how to I know how to parent. Uh, like I've got it. Like I would look and be very critical left and right and be like, ah, oh, man, they're doing it wrong. I know I'm going to do it right. Yeah. Well, you put me in a room with two children uh, for 10 hours. It doesn't take me even half of that time, maybe even a quarter of that time to realize that your theoretical kind of knowledge does not necessarily make its way to the practical. Mm -hmm. And so there's a difference between forms and elements, and we should care about what the Bible cares about, but we should understand that that can look different. And even in the life of a church, an infant church like my own that's got 11 adults is going to look different than a 100-year-old church with a 1,000 adults. You know, it, it, the age of the church, the context of the church is, is all going to be different. And so to be so pigeon-held to an idea that you're striving for, this is what the church is, you will really steamroll some, some godly people and some neighbors that Jesus has called you to go love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't think we can be just like inflexible, you know, in terms of our, um, you know, like things like ecclesiology or whatever to the point where we're steamrolling other people. Um, so definitely if we start losing sight of the great, what did Jesus say? The weightier matters of the law, right? We're tithing mint and dill, but we're, you know, missing the weightier matters of the law. Like, you know, 
love and justice. So definitely want to avoid that. Um, I think that when it comes to identifying um, idols in your life, specifically as it relates to church planting, um, a couple of the things that I think you can do just to kind of run a diagnostic test on yourself or real you know, quick. Just, yeah. Sorry, but I do want to interject one. Sure. It's a surprise one. Do it. The church plant. What do you mean? Your identity as a church planter in the six, like the church plant itself. Yeah. To where you will neglect your marriage. You will neglect your mm. fathering. If you have children, you'll neglect your normal Christian duties all wrapped up into the, if this succeeds, I win. If this fails, I'm a failure. Like I know, and that's in some ways built into like platform and church. Like it's kind of one and Success, two, but yeah. I mean, I just know so many that they just feel like their approval before Christ is based off of if this thing makes it. Sure. And it is not. Sure. I struggled with that in our first church plan up in Canada. You know, I mean, when we, you know, my expectations were that, well, you know, as soon as we start just preaching the true gospel, you know, up here, you know, then people will start coming to Christ. You know, the reason that, you know, people aren't coming to Christ appears that there's not any healthy churches. Right. And, you know, I mean, obviously this is an, you know, arrogant, you know, uh, you know, guy who's never planted a church in his twenties who, you know, I was zealous. I was, you know, excited. I, you know, had uh, a good heart behind it. You know, I genuinely wanted to see people get saved, but I also was extremely naive and, you know, uh, prideful in just thinking I was going to roll in there, you know, and like, well, you know, we know how to plant a church and we'll preach the gospel and people are going to get saved. And man, I was in for a rude awakening, um, you know, cause we went in there and, uh, it, people didn't flock to Jesus in you know, record numbers and we wouldn't, you know, we weren't filling up the baptismal baptismal, uh, pool, you know, just left and right with dozens and dozens of conversions. Like it just didn't happen that way. Uh, it was a lot slower, a lot harder. Uh, we did get to see fruit by God's grace. Um, but there was a lot of tilling of soil. There was a lot of disappointment. There was a lot of rejection. Um, and it was a lot smaller than we thought it would be, you know, like it was just, it was just different. And so it was very tempting for me. I think I struggled early on of like almost falling into a depression and feeling like I had failed, um, you know, questioning my calling, like, well, maybe, you know, I'm just not actually good at this and I need to go do something else as if like, you know, if I was a real church planner, if I was really called, I would have produced better results, which looking back is preposterous, you know, like in every way, like theologically and everything. But uh, yeah, I, it's a very real danger. And I think that was an issue in my life. Now, and, and there's also a Tim, I mean, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, uh, I, I have 11 people and we've been for a month and a half. We haven't even been able to meet. Um, and I praise God for those 11. Uh, but this didn't look the way that I thought it would. Um, I was really hoping to have a buildup of evangelism leading into a more public launch. And, um, you know, if if my identity was locked into this, um, I, I just feel like I'd be depressed. Yep. But it's hmm. by God's grace, we have 11 people who've committed to be a part of this church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jesus cares for each of these souls that um, heaven rejoiced over being saved and I'm going to hold, I'm going to be held accountable for these souls. And so I treasure them, but there's another aspect to this, you know, the idolatry of the church itself. Um, 
is when it comes to sharing responsibility, you know, the, it creates this kind of fear of letting other people, uh, take ownership of things. Mm. You know, it can lead to micromanaging. It can lead to kind of a fear-based solo leader, you know, similar to what I was talking about with the platform, but it's, it's not as proactive build my kingdom. It's more reactive, defensive, protect the church because this is my church and you, you won't allow other people to exercise their gifts you won't raise up other elders and other leaders. You, you don't want you don't you know, want somebody else messing up your sandcastle, basically, right? Yeah, you feel like it's if you ever say this is my church, repent. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's Christ's church. You mm-hmm. are an under shepherd. That's good. It is His church, and into I mean, we've got to understand that it is His church. We pray that when we die. The church will live on, but all of the churches of the New Testament are no longer in existence. So if it doesn't, just faithfully shepherd the people God has you there to shepherd and understand it's his church. Jesus builds his church. He entrusts it to us to shepherd with gentleness and love and care. Um, But it is not ours to possess and to control. That's good. Yeah. And I mean, and that kind of even bleeds into just thinking about, you know, like, uh, just the diagnostic tests of, you know, how you can tell if you're beginning to make one of these things. We've talked about an idol, you know, if there's a possessiveness over it, right? If there's anxiety, you know, thing like, what are you anxious about all the time? What do you find yourself worrying about constantly? You know, what, what are you afraid of? Like a lot of times those things reveal to us what we're idolizing. And so if you're constantly like, worried about, you know, the attendance numbers and, oh no, you know, we're, we've been down the last couple of weeks and that like strikes this almost like anxiety in your heart. Like that's, that's kind of problematic, honestly, because like God's not sitting up there worried about that. And he's not asking you, he's not going, Hey, why are your numbers declining? You better get back to work and build these things up. You know, like you better do what I've called you to do. Like we know that God's not doing that. That's not what God expects of us. So these are expectations that we have. And and honestly, guys, like probably nobody else really has those expectations of you either. They're probably just your own. Like if you're a part of a a decent church planning network, then <laughs> I don't know of any like good church planning networks that actually, you know, th- go around saying that numbers are the most important thing. Uh, I think functionally, sometimes we can act that way, but I think we all deep down, we know like what really matters is spiritual fruit. That's what lasts. So, but I still think we function like, like we say, we believe that, oh, you know, like we, we say the spiritual things like God's the one that gives the growth and, you know, we just got to be faithful and sow the seed and that's what God's looking for. And yet we're so anxious over numbers and we're so anxious over what people are saying about us and whether or not we're getting credit from the church planning organization we're a part of. And well, nobody's, you know, like people are talking about that other church across the town and nobody's talking about our church and, you know, why not? Woe is me. And, you know, I just, it's so, and I'm saying all this as, you know, somebody who's had those same thoughts and I just, you know, and you, you look back on them, you think, and like, man, so, so sinful, so lack, it's just lacks so much faith, you know, uh, so short sighted. Um, it's just silly. Some of the stuff that we get caught up in. Yeah. Um, it's, so <laughs> I'm going to plug, a. um, kind of a cheesy Christmas movie. I'm not going to tell you the name of it, but Carla and I, Carla loves them. She watched one recently and it was of this Catholic church in New England where this priest whose job was to go and basically assess and shut down churches that were not financially viable. 
and the parish priest was like, do you hate your job? And he's like, well, you know, da, 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 it's cost. And, and it, it, the guy was just like, this is a business mindset. You know, and and I think sometimes we have that mindset, even if no one really puts it on us. Mm-hmm. Again, we 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 have this evaluation of numbers and finances and stuff, and I and I think it has. I mean, and I think for the church planner, this is something that's worthy of just thinking about. How much of it is, as you were saying, like fear based? How much of it is you're afraid of this not making it, not because of what would happen to these sheep who are assembled, who are in community, but what happens to your paycheck? Yeah. What happens to your comfort and security? Whoops. And yep. that's a bad place to be. Mm-hmm. If you're concerned about your church making it because you're solely concerned with your reputation, your paycheck, and your comfort, um, I would just... Go to God with that. Yeah. Is that is that a good concern? I'm not saying you should be completely un uh, you know unconcerned with those things, but yeah. if that's the primary driving force behind your daily rhythms and strategies and promotion. Is I don't want the doors closed on this church plant because I don't know what I would do. That's not the right answer. That's right. Hey, another indicator too I wanted to mention before because we're running out of time, but I really wanted to mention this one is what you know, look at what makes you irritated or frustrated or angry. Um, if you get irritated because in the service, um, you know, the worship team, you know, messes up the slides on the song and you start thinking about, well, there go those guests, you know, like nobody's going to, and you start being afraid that people aren't going to come back. Right. Because something didn't go well in the transition or the slides weren't right. Or, you know, your hospitality team, you know, volunteer didn't show up or what have you. And those kind of things upset you and make you mad. And, and you finally, you're constantly fretting over them. And that's another example of like, like that's a symptom of a deeper lying issue that you should look at and go, okay, where am I placing my identity right now? Uh, where am I finding my worth? And, and I think at the end of the day, like what Logan and I are saying is like, you know, your identity needs to remain as a child of God, first and foremost. Uh, you need to remember that, remember that you're accepted in the beloved, that um, God is just requiring of you to be faithful, that you can't produce results anyways. And honestly, if you start trying to manufacture what we would call quote unquote results, it's most of it's just going to be wood, hay and stubble anyways. It's going to burn up on the last day. Uh, the stuff that's going to last on, on the last day is going to be what God builds not what we build. Um, so we need to, you know, trust God to give the growth. So, and just remember your identity as a child of God. Don't get bored of the gospel. Um, pray Ephesians 1, 17 to 20 over yourself, uh, uh, constantly where Paul says, you know, it prays that, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know the hope to which we've been called and what are the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe, um, and pray that over yourself. And then, you know, pray regularly for other pastors and other ministries, um, and champion them, um, both publicly and in your private prayer life. Um, and yeah. And then just invite healthy accountability into your life in this area too. like talk, talk with people about it. You know, if you're struggling with your you know, identity and you're noticing these things are idols, talk about it with people. Uh, yeah. it's, just, it's just like the last episode we recorded on sexual sin, right. it, you know, you need to be vulnerable. You need to be honest. Yep. If this is something you struggle with, 
And let's be honest, we all struggle with pride to some degree. Talk to someone. That's right. Before it, before it grows to something that um, could derail your ministry and hurt your church. Amen. And more the name of Christ. Amen. Man, we could keep talking about this for a lot, a lot longer than we have, but uh, we are up against the time, so we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in to another episode. Uh, make sure you head on over to www.getinthetrenches.com so that you can check out all the other episodes we've got. We've got a ton of content up there. We also have a blog, lots of great posts on the blog, so be sure you check those out. Um, and if you haven't hit, if you haven't subscribed to In the Trenches yet, uh, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. So make sure you hit that subscribe button so that way you can get the new episodes as soon as they drop on Mondays. Uh, we're going to be back next Monday with another episode of In the Trenches. So until then, go out there and get in those trenches, church planners. Church planners.